The word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 13, verse 31 to 33. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air can come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. Excuse me. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. The word of the Lord. <clears throat> well, if you were going to do what I did this week, which was uh, Google uh, most popular new church names. Most popular new church names. So if you're planning a church in the next, in the last 20 years or so, here are some of the most popular church names that you'll find very easily through a Google search. Epic Church. Hype Church. By the way, our new name is Hype Church. I'm making that a state, right? Just kidding. It's a joke. Uh, Revolution Church. Elevation Church. Impact Church. Vertical Church. Summit Church. Now, it's not wrong to name your church any of those names. It is kind of funny. You know, I grew up in the church. There's not many First Baptist church plants. There's not many First Presbyterian church plants around anymore. And you know what you'll never find on a list of most popular church names? Mustard Seed Community Church. Mustard Seed Church does not exist because it doesn't give off the vibe that the American church enjoys that the American church consumes. Um, What does this say about us? The the fact that this is what our largest and most fastly growing and successful churches are often called. Well, it says that we love big and fast and attractive things. I coach and train and talk to church planners all over the place It's one of the things that I feel like God put me on this planet to do is be a part of the work of church planning. And every single one of us, and I include myself, thinks that church planning success is fast numerical growth. I hate to break it to you people, but your pastors want to grow fast. It's just the truth. Don't we all need to listen to the word of Jesus in this small parable? He tells us the kingdom of God grows like a seed in the soil. And the smallest seed of all grows slowly and steadily until over time it becomes the largest tree in the garden. This is our third parable in our fall series, He Told Stories. These Matthew 13 parables are all about what Jesus' main teaching priority is in Matthew's gospel. His kingdom, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And we've seen in the prior two parables certain important facets of the kingdom of God. The parable of the sower taught us that the kingdom of God comes by hearing. So take heed how you hear. We saw last week in the parable of the weeds that the kingdom of God comes gradually And that God's people are to wait for his kingdom to come fully with patience. In the meantime, this world is still full of evil. And here in these two short and simple parables, a parable about about a mustard seed planted in a garden and leaven in flour, 
we see that the kingdom of God starts out small and insignificant and slowly grows into a tree so big that Jesus tells us birds make nests in its branches. The main point of these parables is the contrast between the smallness of the beginning and the largeness of the end. The contrast of the smallness of the beginning and the largeness of the end. So I want to remind us this week, as I want to every week, that Jesus Christ in all of his resurrection power and grace is speaking to you this morning. Right now, in and through this parable, he says again and again in these parables, he who has ears, let him hear, let her hear. So will you just pray right now for a moment that the Holy Spirit will open up your ears and your hearts to hear the wise words of Jesus Christ for you today, that you may be fruitful. Let's look at this parable, primarily the first one, and and I want to just ask two questions of this text for us this morning. The first question is, are you thinking small enough? Are you thinking small enough? The kingdom of God, Jesus tells us here, starts small. That's one of the reasons that the kingdom of God was so startling to those who first encountered it. Think about the ministry of Jesus. Think about the message of his gospel. Jesus was not born as a general or as a king or as a conqueror would be born. Jesus was born in a completely forgotten, tiny, backwoods town in an unimportant province. Jesus was born to a young teenage Jewish girl who was engaged to a young Jewish carpenter. Jesus grew up in complete obscurity, not in Rome, not in Athens, in the middle of nowhere, Nazareth. And in his ministry, Jesus never traveled more than about a hundred miles from the place where he was born. His ministry geography was about the size of the state of New Jersey or metropolitan Houston, whichever one you prefer. He he limited his ministry primarily to, to spending a lot of time with 12 relatively ordinary Galilean fishermen and middle class workers. And of course, he died as a forgotten Roman criminal in the most ignominious and God-forsaken way imaginable at the time. Crucifixion on a cross, on a dung heap outside of the city. And at the time of his death, Jesus, this rabbi, had a church of about uh, 100, 120 or so people. Even his resurrection was not an event that caused the heavens to be torn open and angels descending with trumpets. No, the resurrection happened in the quiet stillness of a Sunday morning. And the only initial witnesses were peasant women on their way to anoint his dead body. The kingdom of God, the message of the gospel, has small beginnings. It was like a mustard seed. The the smallest of all seeds. As soon as the farmer throws the mustard seed into the ground, it's lost in the dirt. It's invisible to the naked eye. Jesus' kingdom began like a mustard seed, obscurely, silently growing in the fields. And listen, amazingly, that is still how the kingdom comes. 
That is how the kingdom comes and grows in your lives now. The way kingdom growth appears and happens today in each of our stories is through small, seemingly insignificant, ordinary habits and relationships and sermons and sacraments over time. My, one of my, uh, I love the Christian author Eugene Peterson who died a number of years ago and he has a phrase for the Christian life that I find to be very apt for explaining Jesus' point in this parable. He calls the Christian life a long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction. The reality is, (laughs) I hate to break it to you, our lives are all pretty small. Our lives are all small. No one really notices your long obedience in the same direction if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. No one sees when you men resist sexual temptation. You don't look at that thing on your phone with the help of the Holy Spirit. No one sees when you young moms get up really early or stay up a little later than you want to and carve some sort of time into your schedule to read a chapter of the Bible and to pray. No one sees when you lovingly care for and discipline your children with gentleness, and when you don't do it with gentleness, you say, I'm sorry. No one sees when you kids refuse to cheat on your work at school, even though most of the other kids around you are cheating. No one sees when you guys show up early and set up chairs for church, except for me and Kevin and Will, and thank you, by the way. These don't feel like life-altering decisions in our lives. But that's the way that faith is built. That's the way the kingdom is extended. If I can just personalize this for you for a moment. What what I'm doing right now, preaching from a text of scripture, I've done, I I counted this up, about 550 times. And and it's just kind of what I do. And uh, sometimes, by God's grace, one sermon that I preach or that another preacher preaches can, can radically change someone's life. And praise God when that happens. That's awesome. But normally, it's really just like me going to work. Sorry to make that sound so unspiritual. But it probably feels to me a lot like your work feels to you. There's some good ones. There's some not so good ones. But I just keep on preaching. And over the years and over the decades, the seeds will scatter and God will grow them and and bear fruit. That's the metaphor Jesus uses for how the kingdom comes in our lives. When when Marianne and I lived in Philadelphia, we we became dear friends with one of our elders and his mom. His mom was a woman named Marty Anderson. And she was just a saintly, delightful, godly older woman. And if you would ask her, what experiences have you had that have led to your Christian maturity? I heard her say this multiple times. What she would always say is, well, I sat under Jim Boyce's. He was the pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. I sat under Dr. Boyce's preaching for 30 years. And that's really the only explanation she could offer. That over time, the kingdom grew and bore fruit in her heart. Not through anything extraordinary, not through anything radical, but just over slow, steady commitment to Jesus and Jesus' people. Jesus is saying here, don't despise the small seeds. Don't despise the regular, ordinary acts of obedience. The, the kingdom starts as small seeds. So are you thinking small enough? We don't really like this. As American Christians, especially. 
We want miraculous Christianity, not mundane Christianity. We want super experiences, not just scripture and sacrament. We're drawn to the big and the successful and the flamboyant and the extravagant. There's a podcast right now that's sort of taking the Christian world by storm. It's called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Some of you might be familiar with it. It's about Mars Hill Church, which was planted in the mid-90s by Pastor Mark Driscoll in one of the most post-Christian secularized cities in America, Seattle. And uh, when I started thinking about church planting and getting into ministry, Mark Driscoll and Mars Hill was like the thing. And uh, I actually learned a lot from Driscoll. He built the church to 15,000 people, had an unbelievably successful public ministry and an unbelievably public fall as well. I would actually commend the podcast to you. I think it's helpful for Christians to listen to. We love flamboyant. We love big. We love amazing. We love radical. But frankly, those things very regularly don't last in our culture. So let's let this parable encourage us and instruct us. Jesus is saying he's going to grow his kingdom and Jesus is going to grow us up, but it's going to happen through sustained trust in him and through faithful practices over time. How are you going to mature as a follower of Jesus? How are you going to more and more love and appreciate and rest in God's grace? Well, listen, it's through going to a community group. And this is not like just me trying to plug community groups. In fact, I'm sure I bother Kevin and Will because I often tell people, going to one community group is almost certainly not going to radically change your life. It's just not. But going to a community group with the same group of friends over three, five, seven, ten years certainly will change you. How are you going to grow? You're going to grow through reading the scripture and through praying as regularly as you can, through coming to the table each week. Even if you're here this morning and your, your kids are distracting you for the entire service, you don't, or someone else's kids are distracting you for the entire service, and, and you don't hear much of what I say, and you can't focus on the words of the song because you stayed up too late last night and you have brain fog, well, well, at least you can come and you can confess your sin. You can hear of your forgiveness. You can eat the body and drink the blood of Jesus Christ by the Spirit. That's how we grow. That's what the parable's teaching. Are you thinking small enough? Alan Kreider is a historian who's written a book about the early church. It's called The Patient Ferment of the Early Church. And in this book, he asks one singular question. How is it that the church grew from about 100 people in AD 32 or so to being the dominant religious force in the Roman Empire by the end of the 4th century? And his answer is really quite profound. He says, Christianity grew in the early age, ages of our faith, uh, through ordinary Christians living their lives in communities faithfully. There were no megachurches in the ancient church. Christianity grew especially by ordinary Christians doing a few things, maintaining a Christian sexual ethic, caring for the poor, and gathering for regular prayer and worship. And he documents this with an incredible amount of primary source material. And and he also, Kreider, does some math that, that just stunned me. Mathematically, he says that if Christian parents, you know, the church got from where it was in AD 32 to where it was in AD 400 by every Christian family seeking to grow up their children and disciple them in a Christian faith, and every person 
bringing one friend or family member into faith in the gospel through a conversation over the course of his or her life. And if everyone does that, that's how you explain the growth of Christianity in the first 300 years after Jesus' resurrection. It's really quite an achievable goal when you think about it. And also stunning. You know, it's, it's the same principle that we've been hearing about the past 18 months with this virus pandemic. If that, if that R naught, right, is below one, the virus is going to die out. But if it's above two or whatever it's at now, it will sweep through the entire population. That's exactly what, is it too soon for that? Might be too soon for that illustration, but it's too late now. That's what the kingdom does. It sweeps through the world slowly and surely through regular Christians living regularly faithful lives, seeking to repent of sin and rest in the gospel together over time. Are you thinking small enough? A second question. Are you thinking big enough? Are you thinking big enough? Jesus' second part of the parable tells us that what begins small and what begins secretly grows to be the largest tree in the garden. And then in the second parable, there in verse 33, Jesus says that like leaven in the dough, the kingdom begins its intensive work secretly, but eventually it's going to influence the entire world. So are you thinking big enough? The reference Jesus makes to the birds of the air making nests in the branches of this kingdom tree is is drawing on multiple Old Testament prophecies. For example, Isaiah 27.6, Isaiah writes this, In days to come, Jacob shall take root... Israel shall blossom and put forth shoots and fill the whole world with fruit. Ezekiel prophesies, On the mountain height of Israel will I, that's God, will I plant it, that it, the kingdom, may bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar. And under it will dwell every kind of bird in the shade of its branches. Birds of every sort will nest. What is Jesus doing? He's drawing on this Old Testament imagery and telling us that we can have hope. This is a really encouraging, hopeful parable. The gospel that Jesus proclaimed and the gospel of Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection will have a tremendous impact on the world. The kingdom of God is small and steady in its growth, but its growth is persistent and unstoppable. Now, as we wrap up, bear with me. So some history, I think, will be instructive here. As I mentioned earlier, at the resurrection of Jesus, there were 120 or so scared Christians hiding in hovels and attics throughout the city of Jerusalem. If you continue to read in your Bible, you read the book of Acts. And in Acts, thousands of people come into the kingdom. They enter in by faith in the, res- the resurrected Jesus. But, but by the time this first generation of disciples die, about 8,100 or so, there's still only about 30,000 Christians in the world. It took until about 200 AD for there to be over 100,000 Christians in the world. But by the fall of Rome in approximately 410 AD, there were approximately 30 million Christians throughout the empire. Today, of course, Christianity is widely seen to be the largest religion on earth. 
and I think more importantly, it's the only major religion in the world whose center of gravity geographically is different from where it began geographically. Islam began in the Middle East and is still centered in the Middle East and will likely always be centered in the Middle East. Hinduism is basically a religion of the Indian subcontinent. Buddhism is, we all say, an Eastern religion. It began in the Far East and still is centered in the Far East, but not Christianity. Christianity was initially centered in Jerusalem, and then it spread into Northern Africa and Southwestern Europe, and then Western Europe, and then in the North American continent, the United States. And now Christianity is centered not in the United States, but in Africa and in South America. The kingdom is expanding even in places like China, where right now there are approximately, by our best guesses, 45 million Christians who worship mainly in secret underground cell churches. Today, indeed, the kingdom is so large that birds from every part of the earth come and nest in its branches. Christians gather to worship right now in every nation on the planet and in almost every people group on the planet. And and honestly, we can see the same things, the same principle happening on a smaller scale in our own lives and in our own church community. I mean, just over eight years ago, Marianne and I moved here not knowing a soul. And we started a little Bible study in our living room. Some of you, very few of you were were there for that. And and listen, we've just kind of kept going, teaching the scriptures and and praying for each other and living in community and welcoming new people and, and trying to help our city in small ways and forgiving each other's sins. We've had to do that a lot as we have been forgiven. And singing songs together and moving from a church to a movie theater to now this school gym. And, and listen, no one's written features about us in Christianity today, and they probably never will. And I'm okay with that. And almost no one outside of our neck of the woods even knows that our church exists. But we just keep going and, and we keep growing and we keep seeing new people come and sending new people out to their next stops. And there are thousands of churches like ours, even in the last decade that have been started around the world that can tell a similar story. So are you thinking big enough? Your faith and your growth and your life in Christ is not experienced in isolation. No, you're a part of the kingdom that started as a mustard seed and is now becoming a larger and larger tree. If you're connected to Jesus, you're a part of the the greatest movement that the history of the world has ever seen. And what's important is for you to hear that the things that you do matter for the kingdom. You resting in Jesus matters for the kingdom. Your faithful service is a part of the slow, ongoing growth and expansion of God's kingdom. Your prayers for your lost friend or family member or neighbor matter for the kingdom. Jesus uses every single one of our mustard seed lives and mustard seed faith and so many thousands of mustard seed churches to continue to expand and extend his reign.
It was happening way before we were born and will be happening long after we die. Frederick Bruner writes this, Where are all the ancient faiths, philosophies, and forces that once vexed the church? Where are the Epicureans, the Stoics, the Gnostics, the mystery religions, the Roman army itself? Sects and ideologies almost always seem stronger than the church. Sects and ideologies fly. The church limps. Sects and ideologies die. The church limps on. Stick with the church. Stick with God's kingdom. Millions of years ago, uh, geological tectonic shifts created the beginnings of what we now call the Grand Canyon. And then over the past five or six million years, water flowing out of the Rocky Mountains in the form of what we now know as the Colorado River slowly eroded the canyon more and more, creating what is today one of the largest canyons, if not the largest canyon on earth, 270 miles long, 18 miles wide, and at its deepest points, one mile deep. Think about that. What a picture of the kingdom a message about a murdered and made alive again Jewish carpenter rabbi has been embraced in faith by billions, has changed the fabric of this world and will one day usher in a day of such beauty and such joy that we can only begin to taste it now. Are you thinking small enough? Are you thinking big enough. What starts small in the world and in our lives one day will overwhelm all evil and good will reign forever. In the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Let's pray.